let's do this. I, I don't have a handout, but you have um, a, a nice bingo card, a nice bingo sheet. So on the back of that, you can write down the three points. So I've got three points today. The first thing we're going to talk about is is communing with God. So commune with God. So we're we're going to take a look at that word commune or communion, communication in the Bible, and just look at three quick points. The first one is commune with God. And the thing, the first thing I would say too is that in any any organization, right, any church, any business, any job that anybody's ever been a part of, I think you could always say, and we need to work on communication. Like everybody, every family says that. One of the major causes or leading causes of divorce is, well, we just didn't communicate. And so communication is a, is a thing, right? We need to talk about it. So the, our first point is about communing with God. Um, I, so I just want to make the point that all throughout the Bible, God is interested in communing with his creation. Right in the beginning in Genesis chapter three, God is in the garden looking for Adam so that they can commune, so that they can hang out, so they can spend time together. The first time you actually see the word commune is in Genesis chapter 18, verse 33. So in Genesis 18, 33, it's when Abram is on the plains of Shinar and God comes, actually it's Jesus and some angels come and they came to commune with Abraham. They came to spend time with him. So God has always been interested in spending time with his people. We see from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way through Joseph, God has a close relationship with these people. And then it moves to more of the nation of Israel, right? So in Exodus 25, 22, this is when it says that God will commune with Moses from above the mercy seat. So Exodus 25, 22 is when God sets up this system of he's going to come down into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies and be above the mercy seat. And he's gonna, the reason he's doing that is so he can commune with Moses. And then Moses would then relay that message to the people. So we see God's heart is always to be with his people and to spend time with them, right? And then we go through judges, we go through Joshua, judges, the kings, the prophets, and that's God's heart the whole time. And then things change in the New Testament. So when Jesus is on the cross and we see the veil gets rent in two, right? So God had always been kind of behind that veil. And then when Jesus comes and Jesus dies, that veil is broken. That veil is ripped in half. And one of the major reasons for that is so that we can now commune with God. So the book of Hebrews describes it this way, Hebrews 4.16. It says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so what once was separate from us, what once was behind the veil, at the mercy seat, up in the mountain, what once was far away is now close. We now have the ability to commune with God. And, and I think we often, we often take that for granted, right? Like the fact that I get to spend time with God. Like sometimes we look at it as, well, I have to. Like I have to do my quiet time or I have to pray. We need to look at it from the other perspective, I think. Like we actually get to spend time with God. The barrier has been broken. Like that veil is gone and now we can enter his throne room. And the Bible says we can do that boldly. So we have that ability. So the first thing is we need to commune with God. And we want, I want to start there because what that's going to do is it's going to lead to our communion or our communication with others, right? So we commune with God. That's number one. Number two is going to sound a little bit funny, but I want you to hear me out. We need to commune with yourself, commune with yourself. Here's where this is coming from. In the Psalms, Psalm 77, verse 6. It says, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart 
and my spirit made diligent search. So this word commune is like to put forth, to meditate, to muse, to speak, to ponder, to sing, to consider, to put forth thoughts. So you see the psalmist using this term a few times where he says, I communed with myself. So what I'm not talking about is like doing yoga and, you know, like getting in touch with your feelings or, or something like that, where just this self like reflection and meditation that leads to, well, now I know myself better. That's not necessarily the point. When we see this in the Psalms, when the psalmist says, I communed with myself, that always gets him back to a point of communing with the Lord every time. So he's always like, okay, I'm sad, something's happening, I've got this enemy, or maybe he's joyful and something great happened and he, he reflects on it, he thinks about it, and it always leads him back to, uh, well, God is good. Like he always comes back to that conclusion. He always comes back to communing with the Lord. So I think it's really important that we, that we look inside of ourselves, right? And, and as we do that, we sort of realize, well, in me dwelleth no good thing, and that should always turn us back to the Lord. So we commune with God, and then in our communing with ourselves, like on the, on, on the internal, right, we, we are able to commune back with God. It actually leads us back into communication or communion with God. Um, I think to commune with, our, with oneself or to commune with God, it requires silence. It requires time. It requires patience. Any good relationship that we have with other people takes time, takes energy. It's work to communicate. It's not always easy. Has anybody ever had that experience where you, maybe you pour your heart out in like a text message or an email. You just like explain, tell somebody how important they are to you and how much you love them and and you just you're you know it's like one of those texts that they have to scroll this just goes on and on and you're just pouring it out and then the response is k <laughs> they don't even say okay it's just the letter k you're like i i just poured out my heart like i just gave you all of me and i get the letter k in return Sometimes that's the price of communication. Sometimes that's what happens when we communicate, right? It's hard. We don't always get the response we're looking for. We don't always get the affirmation. We don't always get the, hey, I love you too. Or, you know, that's a, so I have a confession. You like avocados? (laughs) Yeah, what? See? I'm going to cry now. So, there's this thing that Midtown does that I love, but it's awkward. Midtown is really good at saying, I love you. Like, so when I first came to Midtown, people would say that, and I just didn't know what to say back because I'm not used to expressing myself that way. So if you've ever been like, hey, I love you, and I just stared at you blankly <laughs> or said, K, <laughs> like, it's not personal. It's just... It's just, it's just awkward. I think it's great. I'm glad, like, I think that when you tell people you love them, like, I think it does a lot for that person. I think it's great, keep doing it. But it's a little awkward. But that's the price, right? That's, that's what happens when we communicate. That's what happens when we talk. That's what happens sometimes 
We put ourselves in a vulnerable, a vulnerable position and we don't get back what we expected. That's no excuse not to keep communicating. Sometimes when we share the gospel and we pour our heart out to a lost person, the response is, okay, or not for me. That doesn't mean we stop communicating. That doesn't mean we stop. Sometimes when we read, the, be honest, when you read the Bible, maybe you get up early and you read the word and you're like, God, I really need something for you, from you this morning. And God's got you in Second Chronicles and you're like, oh, it's a little dry. It's a little difficult. Maybe you don't feel like it was, there was communication there, but there's communication there. We need to continue that. So we've communed with God. We commune with ourselves, and that leads us back to God. Communication is difficult. So our third point is that the Bible teaches us that we need to commune with others. We need to commune with others. Um, Hebrews 13, 16 says, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So to communicate, the Bible says we should not forget it. And it says that it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that God is pleased with. Communication with others isn't a matter of preference or choice. Um, sometimes we use our personality as an excuse, say, well, I'm just quiet, so I won't communicate. But the Bible actually makes it a command and says, don't forget to communicate. So if we stop communicating with our spouses, with our family, with one another in fellowship, then we're actually disobeying what God said. Like we're not following what the Bible said. So two, two groups of people we need to communicate with when we're talking about communicating with others. We need to communicate with each other. So we've talked about that, right? Just write down Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. It's the verse about um, provoking one another into love and good works. And that's what happens when we communicate. So actually that word communicate in the Bible is more than just talking. It's, it's like sharing life together, sharing food together. It's meeting each other's needs. It goes way deeper than just, hey, how are you? To I'm gonna actually you know, meet your needs. So Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, that's what comes, what comes out of that. Um, Philippians 4, 14 and 15 says this. Paul's writing to the Philippian church who had been a super important church in his life. And he says, notwithstanding ye have well done, that you did communicate with my affliction. Paul was in prison. He was afflicted. The church communicated to his need. And he said, that was a good thing that you did. So communicating to each other's needs is, let's talk to each other in our need, but also let's, let's meet each other's needs in tangible ways. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving but ye only. Nobody was communicating with him. There was one church doing it and he praised them for it and he thanked them for it. So we need to be that in each other's lives. So the second group of people we need to communicate with is non-Christians. It is our obligation, our duty, our privilege as Christians to share our faith with others. The Great Commission lays this out in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. And how do we do that? We have to evangelize. We have to share our faith. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. So Paul communicated the gospel among the Gentiles. He was preaching. He was reaching the lost. He was sharing his faith 
with the law. So as we commune with God and with ourselves and with other Christians, um, that I believe is preparation for us to commune with the lost. So I have a good relationship with God. I'm, I'm looking inside to, to, to my strengths and weaknesses and letting God refine me. I have good communication with my fellow believers and that provokes me to love and good works. And now I'm ready to go commune with the lost. Now I'm ready to go communicate my faith and share my faith with the lost. If we eliminate the relationship with God and I'm just communicating with the lost, now there's no power of the Holy Spirit working through me and I'm just in my flesh sharing my faith. If I'm only ever communicating with God and not the lost, then I'm disobeying what the Great Commission tells me that I should be doing, what I need to be doing. So we gotta have all of those working together. The last thing I wanna say is Colossians chapter four, verse three says, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. The importance of praying for open doors so that we have the opportunity to communicate our faith with the lost. So we're gonna hear now, um, give a big welcome, a big life fellowship welcome to Charity. Charity, come on up. Morning, guys. My name is Charity, and um, I was asked to give a testimony on being an introvert and how God is using me in spite of that or helping me grow through that um, to minister to other people. And I found out about this yesterday, and so if you'll forgive me, I may be reading more than more than usual. Um, but first, to share a little background, can everybody hear me? By the way, are you good? No. Yeah. What? <laughs> are you <laughs> Missy? Okay, okay. Um, to first, to share a little background, I, um, I came to Midtown four years ago, and I'm in Kaya. I'm a Bible study leader in FOI, and I got saved as a young girl and had a relationship with God, but it really wasn't until I came to Midtown that God put all the pieces together through discipleship and the preaching and teaching and accountability of our church. And um, with that, he's provided opportunities to um, pass on what I'm learning in the word to other people. And as we know, the, the why behind what we're passing on is rooted in the Great Commission, uh, founded in uh, Matthew 28. And these are Jesus's final words to his disciples before he returns to the Father and his uh, instruction to us as uh, disciples in the church age today. And so uh, our mission is outlined in verses 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever, whatsoever I have commanded you. And from this we understand that we are to win souls, make disciples, and train and equip leaders to do the same. And all three of these terms obviously involve relating to and communicating with people. And as an introvert, um, that can feel very overwhelming and intimidating. But as God's daughter and servant, I need to trust and obey my Father and Lord. And so I would just wanna share briefly two specific areas that he's helped me overcome and um, move forward in obedience. The first is woundedness. Um, my shyness started when I was young. Um, after my closest friends rejected me and hurt me deeply, I felt like I, I was unworthy of friendships and incapable of relating to other people, especially those my age. 
but the Lord showed me through his word that he knows exactly how I feel. Isaiah 53.3 says, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. So Jesus was despised and rejected of men. He came unto his own and his own received him not. He was wounded in the house of his friends and he was forsaken by his father as he died on the cross for my sins. So Jesus knows <laughs> how it feels to, to be rejected. He not only knows how I feel, but he cares for me and um, is with me. Over time, he's helped me cast my cares on him, the cares of, um, of those past rejections, of present hesitations, and of the possibility of future hurts. Um, but he is with me, and he's assured me that I'm accepted in the beloved, that he is my friend that sticketh closer than a brother, and he will never leave me nor forsake me. And so the presence of Almighty God with me right now and forever uh, gives me confidence and boldness. Hebrews 13, five and six says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I shall not fear what man will do unto me. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Now, the rubber meets the road when I enter this room and am surrounded by hundreds of Kayans. Um, and sometimes I, I still feel fearful about engaging in conversation and relationships. But going into those moments, I prepare by being honest with God and letting him know how I feel and um, then surrendering to him and claiming his promises and asking for the grace to obey. And in those moments, as I'm moving forward, um, I just remind myself that God is with me and that he will never leave me. And so um, in his presence, I can do whatever he asked me to do. And then the second area is that of weakness. Um, there are other times when I just feel inadequate to um, communicate <laughs> and inadequate to start a conversation or to continue it or to build a friendship or to uh, counsel rightly or to, to lead my Bible study girls. Um, but the Bible tells us that these very weaknesses are exactly what qualify me to be used by God. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 16, I'm sorry, 26 through 29 say, For ye see your calling, brethren, how not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So these verses underscore that it's not about what I can or can't bring to the table in my flesh. It's about being willing, knowing that God is able. Second Corinthians 9, 8 says, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. And so, therefore, my woundedness and my weaknesses, when surrendered to God, um, can be used by him to showcase his power and so that he gets all the glory. Um, and this is what life is all about.